This is from Shobogenzo, case 199. Don't chance the central path. The main case. When Zen master Zhui Jing of Huayan Monastery was studying with Dongshan, he said, I still cannot see the essential path. I still cannot become free of discriminating consciousness. Dongshan said, Do you think there is such a path? Zhui said, No, I do not think there is such a path. Dongshan said, where did you acquire your discriminating thinking? Zhuijing said, I am asking in all seriousness. Dongchan said, Go to a place where there is no grass for 10,000 miles. Zhuijing said, How can I go to a place where there is no grass for 10,000 miles? Dongchan said, Go directly, right now. The commentary. The essential path is wild, unregulated, self-maintaining, intelligent, sacred, and free. Its temple is the wilderness. Its liturgy is the god of rock and water. The voice of the coyote, the wind song. Its teachings are infinite wonder. Yet, if you direct yourself toward it, you are surely moving away from it. This monk wants to be free and to accord with the nature of things. Dongshan is trying to let him see that in his very effort, he is creating complications. Haven't you heard that in order to live in accord with natural principles and the fundamental nature of things, all intentional efforts must first vanish. The essential path abides in non-action, and yet nothing is left undone. But say, is there no grass for 10,000 miles? If there is no grass for 10,000 miles, how can you go? Where do you go? Who would go? If you linger at the source, you will miss its radiance. If you chase after shadows, you will become entangled in brambles. What will you do? So here we are, back after a short hiatus, at the beginning of a new year. after spending some time with friends, family, celebrating holidays. And for some, this hiatus interrupts the practice, creates gaps, breaks. For others, it actually deepens. So how does it feel to step back into what we call formal practice? From what we call a break? 
these two Sundays here because of the holidays. Was it seamless? And if it was, what is seamless? What is continuous? What is ever-flowing? What is unceasing? Coming back, does the practice feel like a bright light that shines on our lives and create clarity? Or does it feel like a burden? Does it blend? Most of, most of us got the opportunity to spend time with family, friends. And of course with that, we also had the opportunity to encounter old and familiar ways of thinking and functioning. Old and forgotten triggers get pushed. And often a dormant behavioral mechanism is awakened. And we find ourselves being surprised by the way we speak, the way we act. Maybe sarcasm comes up, harsh words begin to emerge, maybe an unkind tone of voice, harsh hand gestures. So we may wonder, what does it come from? And when it comes up, what happens to all the realizations I've had? All the time I put into practice. And the depth I felt, or have, I have been feeling. At times it feels like it's all out the window very quickly, especially with people we care about, people who care about us. When things are wrong, the triggers are instant. Why do we go willingly up that roller coaster ride. Why do we agree? And this is important to examine as we go in and out of what we call formal practice. Into the practice, out of the practice, into what we call everyday life, back into practice. Like going from one room to another in the same house and then acting in different ways based on the colors of the walls. So as practitioners, what is the path? What is our path? What makes the practice a practice? Where is it? Where do we walk it? Is it here? On the cushion? Is it on this mat during kinhi? 
Does it begin? Does it end? Is it happening at the Sashin? The monastery? Does it begin when we put on the Rakusu? You know, we say, and we hear it a lot, everything is practice, right? But to say the words, everything is practice, is quite easy. It doesn't require much effort or investigation. On the other hand, to practice everything is completely different. It requires us to radically change the way we meet reality. The way we interact with other people sentient and non-sentient. And with our environment, our surroundings. It requires us to be on a path without being on a path or without defining a path. It requires an attitude of seamlessness at all times. It's not the words, it's the actions. Radically change. But for us, to radically change the way we meet reality means to interact with it from a different place. And if it wasn't for that, then everybody would be practicing. To radically change the way we meet reality means to radically change the place from which we communicate and interact with reality. <coughs> Conventionally, interactions are interpreted through a fixed and familiar set of parameters. Right? Some of it may be relying on past experiences. And some may be relying on preconceived thoughts, feelings, notions, judgments, ideas. And it happens because it gives a sense of security and a sense of known boundaries. The older we get, the more it is so. when there is a sense of, I've been in this situation before and I know what I should do and what I should not do. Or at least, I think I know. So to radically change this would mean to meet and interact with the moment or with reality through the unfamiliar and the unknown. Otherwise, what is being changed? to interact from a place of not knowing, which for us often means to interact from a place of fear, or it seems as if, if I don't know, then there is the fear. It also means to let go of preconceived thoughts, judgments, and ideas 
and the sense of security we derive from them. It means to open up. It means to walk naked. It means to recognize reality as it is. In fact, because of the sense of security we derive from the habitual and familiar ways of thinking, because of that, it is so ridiculously easy for us to refer back to old ways. Because of that, this may not be a true sense of security, but still, it's enough. Because of that, we feel that the practice at times is an extra burden. Priorities change very quickly. I think it is chilling how, in a split second, we can go from a moment of experiencing reality clearly. to a moment of drowning in obscurity. To go from clarity to obscurity in a split second. And be completely convinced and completely lost. And on the other hand, it moves the other way as well. In a split second, we can go from obscurity to clarity. And this is simply because obscurity and clarity are not dual. No, we flicker, but what we flicker between is just one thing. We close our eyes, we open them. We close our eyes, we open them. Same eyes, same reality, same surroundings. Yet everything changes. From Clarity to obscurity, from obscurity to clarity. Story of our lives. Last week we went away for a few days, spent some time with the kids, <coughs> and uh, we decided to go to a place there's not much going on at this time of the year, very quiet, by the beach, but obviously it's winter, and. It's not the usual beach vacation. So one of my daughters, before we went, the day before we went, expressed her unhappiness about going away to that place and what are we going to do? I'm going to be bored, there's nothing going on. We're just gonna hang out and walk around. I'd rather stay home. Hang out with my friends. 
And I didn't really react to that. I just said, I'm not going to talk about it now, and we'll talk about it at another time. And I let it go. And then, while we were there, at some point, walking around, holding hands, hanging out, and she was actually quite relaxed, and I looked at her and I said, do you see why we are doing it? Although there's not much going on here, it's not much of, in terms of exciting activities, but do you feel the value of being together, of connecting with each other as a family? And she said yes, and she felt it. At that moment, anyway, she felt it. She went from a limited and self-centered way of interacting with her immediate surroundings to a much broader way, much deeper. And thus was able to open up to it and connect from there. At least for a short period of time. Of course, since then it changed. Because it always changed. But I thought about this in relation to, to our practice and the path we are walking alone and together. And how it is always available for us and how quickly we forget. We go from remembering to forgetting to remembering to forgetting. On and on and on. We get it. And when we get it, it makes perfect sense. And then when we forget it, it also makes perfect because for her, when she complained about going away, she had good reasons to complain. And it made sense. And when she got it, it also made sense. It all makes sense. It makes sense to different parts in us, of us. So then again, from where are we interacting? From what? What is the path? With which legs are we walking on it? Who owns those legs? What are we moved by? You know, deep down we all get it. We get it. Whether we put it into practice or not is a different story. Whether we enact it or not is a different story. But we get it. And we sense a connection with the source from which we can function freely and without fear. But of course, when we are tired, hungry, upset, lonely, when boredom sets in and when fear arises, the old habits come knocking at the door and we gladly open it up for companionship with the known, with the familiar. And it's interesting how the, the old habits linger in the background quietly until the right time, the right opportunity shows up when we are most vulnerable. They knock on the door. We open it. 
that's the moment that we are tested. It's not about passing or failing, but that's the moment where true seamless practice can manifest potential. I think that's when that's where it's most important to manifest it. Because we are tired, because we are hungry, because we are lonely. Because everything seems finite and unbearable. And at that moment we will open the door for anything just to get a break from the discomfort. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You close your eyes, you open them, here it is again. The discomfort doesn't go anywhere. We just delay facing it, working with it. Nobody gets a break. There is no way around. Then we temporarily forget who we really are and revert back to a familiar image of it. And when this happens, we contract. Our world shrinks down to a size of a dime. Everything seems stagnant. And then, of course, we lose trust in our ability to reconnect with the source and regain a sense of flow. And meanwhile, the path is just a path. And it is asking you the same question and is always can this moment be your practice? Are you willing to raise a non-discriminating attitude while experiencing discriminating consciousness? While experiencing flickering of the light? Are, we, are you, are we willing to practice seamlessness? while experiencing intermittent sensations in and out, in and out, light and darkness, light and darkness. That's the experience. But the path is not limited to an experience. Practice does not go in and out or what we are practicing, or the souls, the fundamental. When is the fundamental not the fundamental? It's not born when we realize it, and it doesn't die when we go to sleep. It is continuous.
practice suggests. We maintain a steady course while the thinking mind creates waves when there's no wind. So can you trust that the sun is shining brightly even when the night sets in? Can you trust that the source is intact even when you feel broken? And if so, how? If you say, yes, I can trust, how do you trust? How do you trust when you feel lost? How can you flow when you feel stagnant? Again, feel stagnant. how to practice seamlessly at all times and not to get distracted by the ups and the downs of everyday life. And when we do get distracted, how do we wake up to that? Again, can this be the practice? Can falling asleep, can getting distracted be practiced? Because the moment of awakening is the moment of awakening. We don't wake up to something else. We wake up to realizing being asleep. To realizing the eyes are closed. In this koan, Zhuijing said to Dongshan, I've been practicing for a while and still cannot see the essential path. I still cannot become free of discriminating consciousness. So Dong Chan asked, do you think there is such a path? And footnote says, he sets out a bowl of both honey and poison. Right? Do you think there is such a path? What a great question. Do we think there is a path? Because it is both a recipe for freedom and a recipe for being trapped further. If I think there is a path and I think I know what the path looks like, I surely know I am not on it. And I'm trapped. But if I recognize that there is a path, but the path is pathless, then this is the path, and this is my practice. Regardless of how I feel. So Zhui Jing is saying, he does not think there is such a path. Why is that? Is it because he is discouraged and feels that he cannot break through his own delusions? Is it because he has some level of understanding that the gateless gate leads to a pathless path? Maybe you read about it. Or is it because he lost the trust? But we will never know how 
he was feeling at the time and what he was expressing. I think we have a decent understanding of our own challenges in working with discriminating consciousness. Now we're coming with expectations that at some point we will part the weeds of delusions, leave behind everything, all the issues, and enter a clear field of awakening. And then, of course, with time and practice, we begin to see that it's not exactly what we expected. Delusions do not evaporate. And actually, potentially, they can trap us even after years of diligent practice. Does this mean that diligent practice excludes the times we get trapped in delusion? The path itself is empty and therefore all-encompassing. Because it is empty, it is all-encompassing. It is undefined. There is no in and out. There is no flicker. Its essence is beyond excluding or including. But of course, as humans, we experience discriminating consciousness that divides, judges, includes, and excludes. So getting trapped by or distracted by delusions is categorizing, right? It's categorizing the path which has an inside and an outside. And it is categorizing delusion as hindrances. But if we really claim that everything is practice, then we need to see beyond our discriminating consciousness and choose to practice at all times. And it comes down to a choice. Not when everything is it feels great. Not just then. At all times. Whether we feel trapped or free, encouraged or discouraged, approved or disapproved. It means to see, always, the opportunity for spiritual growth, for deepening our understanding of the teachings, and for cultivating seamless practice. at all times. Now the fact is, we're always walking on a path. And in one way or another, we're always, we always intermingle, act and react. Whether we call it a path or not, everybody does. This raises important questions for us, since we are always walking on some path. What impulses are we obeying? What is moving us? What 
is making us say this and not say that, act this way and not act that way? There's something behind. Sometimes clearly, sometimes not so clearly. How do we want to function while inhabiting this skin bag we call me? The short period of time we reside in this body. How do I want to function in this world? How do I want to interact with others, the environment? And what kind of qualities do I want to cultivate in that short period of time? So it's important to know that when we ask these questions, we need to ask them from a fundamental understanding that we are going to die. And we don't know when that will happen. So there is some level of urgency because there is no tomorrow. So some level of urgency and maybe a renewed discipline. Shake it up. Snap out. Wake up. Now. As Dong Chan said, right away. Now. Don't wait. Don't ponder. So Dong Chan says, go to a place where there is no grass for 10,000 miles. As Rijing said, how can I go to a place where there's no grass for 10,000 miles? And he says, go directly right now. Don't sit there, think about it. Go. Go where? How to do this? We chant, delusions are inexhaustible. The weeds are delusions, by the way. You've heard that before. Right? We chant delusions are inexhaustible, which means we are well aware of the fact that we will keep encountering delusion. We keep chanting it every time. Right? We will keep encountering delusions in the form of, our, form of our habits, fears, discursive thinking, our tendency to grasp, our propensity to judge, and overall through our blindness to the suchness of reality. This is going to keep happening. Then we chant, I vow to transform them. That's where the practice happens. I vow to transform them. I recognize and understand that I will keep encountering all kinds of complications. And I will find myself getting trapped by them. But it doesn't end there. It begins with the recognition. And then, a commitment to do something about it. Means to take the commitment to transmute habitual blindness into clear seeing, fear into trust, discrimination into inclusiveness, grasping into generosity, judgment into acceptance. That's what it means. 
It means we got our work cut out for us for the rest of our lives. However long or short that may be. This is what we practice. So how do we do that? By practicing. And by walking on the path of embodying and actualizing the Eightfold Path through upholding the precepts. There are some guidelines. We follow some structure in this structureless reality. We follow a structure that is essentially upaya. Because if we don't, We see what happens. History is telling us, and reality today, our everyday life. We see what happens when we don't practice, or we don't choose to be on a path. But maybe the 16 Bodhisattva precepts, Eightfold Path, maybe that's too much to remember. Maybe just the three pure precepts, maybe that's enough. Or at least to begin with, on a daily basis, just to look at those three. I vow to not create harm. That's plenty, isn't it? I vow to not create harm. Wake up in the morning. Put your hands in gush. And just say, I vow to not create harm today. Which means I am going to look at the way I speak, examine the way I act, and act from a place of understanding that I choose to not create harm. And then I vow to practice good. It's not enough to not create harm because I gotta do something. Maybe I'll do something good. And I vow to actualize good for others. Just that. I vow to not create harm. I vow to practice good. And I also vow to bring everybody with me along that ride. To think of others. To do good for others. One day at a time. Then before you go to bed at night, you look again. Was I able to uphold these three pure precepts today? And if, in the, and if the answer is so-so, well, okay. I'm going to go to sleep, I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to do a better job tomorrow. That will keep us busy for the rest of our lives. And that will be a life worth living. You know, Dongshan says, go to a place when there is no grass for 10,000 miles. How can I go? How can I go to a place 
when there's no grass for 10,000 miles, right? So on one level, it is impossible to avoid delusions. On the other level, there is no such thing as grass. There's no such thing as delusion in opposition to realization. Delusion is realization. Realization is delusion. It all co-arises. The visions are only in the mind. So yes, you can go to a place when there is no grass for 10,000 miles, for 10,000 years. You are at that place. That's why I said, go directly right now. This is the time to wake up. The grass is boundless and delusions are indeed inexhaustible. So there is no escape. But wisdom is also boundless and inexhaustible. And it is actualized, it's found and actualized in the midst of delusion. So can we function freely while dealing with constant daily challenges? You know, Rumi said, live in the nowhere that you came from, even though you have an address here. Function from the place, the no place that you came from, the nowhere that you came from, while you are residing and functioning in this reality. That's a good advice, isn't it? to function from a place of no place, from not knowing. Live in the knower that you came from, while maintaining an address, a name, an occupation, family status, whatever. comes down to how, it always comes down to how do we choose to put one foot in front of the other. With which mind? I would like to end by offering a poem. A meandering path flows through a cold winter, coming from the unknown, leading to the unfamiliar. Fearful steps intermingle with steady stride, wet and shivering, grasping, embracing, then grasping again. Who is this? Where am I? 
what is moving. And then, the bright light penetrates deep, and the ocean fills the crevice of doubts. A meandering path flows peacefully through the cold night.